Hey everybody, this, this beautiful lady sitting next to me is my mommy. Um, if you are... They clap for you even if they don't know you because you did such a good job raising me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, here, uh, let's, let's move this out of the way for a second. Um, I wanted to chat with my mom in front of all of you for a minute, really actually kind of just to give her uh, a, a minute. There are, there are a very small number of people in the world who could look at me and say, Tim, I have something I want to say to your church this Sunday. And with like no notice and without having to like review your notes, um, that I would just go, okay, cool, let's set that up. And so uh, it's easier for us to sit down. You know, I was up late grieving the Dodgers last night. So, uh, so it's easier for us if we just sit this morning. So, um, so we're just going to sit. And uh, my mom told me that, that there is something on her heart for Life Church. And so uh, if there's any kind of like setting the tone on that or if you just want to dive in, you know, these people are kind of used to just hearing wherever we go. So, yeah. Actually, the reason why I felt I needed to share something is because those of you that know me know that I've been struggling with Parkinson's now for 10, ten years. So it's uh, physically not getting any easier. Spiritually, I've been really struggling. And I sort of have the feeling I want to share with you what God has shown me, partially because of the fact that it's been an incredible time for me but also because I believe, I sort of sense that there are people here, like there are most, most churches, I believe, that are struggling with the fact, why God? Why are we doing this? Why can't we stop doing this? Why can this not change? And we keep railing at God. Sometimes we turn away from God for a while. Sometimes we bury our gifts because we say, well, it's no, no point me doing anything for God because he doesn't do anything for me. So that's where I'm coming from, and I want to share with you today. And uh, as I've been struggling, and I'm, I've, through my life, I've struggled about different things with God. And the longer I struggle, the more answers he gives me. And his answers this time came very deep. Because it ended up in the end that I just needed to surrender again, another piece of myself. But one of the things he showed me, which I thought was very surprising, that some things we struggle with, some things we suffer. And trust me, this is not fun for me to sit here with my hands shaking. To not know if I can get it down these stairs for myself. But one thing God showed me, he showed me Job. He said, why do you think I allowed all these things in Job's life? The accuser came to, to God in heaven, and God said to, jo to, jo to the accuser, the accuser didn't go and say, I picked Job. I'll attack him. Let's see what you can do to help him. It was the other way around. God said to the accuser, do you see Job? He's righteous. And the devil said, let's see. Let us see how righteous he really is. And he started dismantling Job with God's permission. God more or less offered him up to, on a silver platter. said, here, have at it. Don't touch his life, but have at it. He lost all his children. He lost all his belongings. His wife was the only one left, and she accused him. Said, why don't you curse God and die? Won't you be done with this? At least I'll be rid of you. 
And in the end, he touched his body with boils. And on came his friends, wonderful friends they were. The first five days they did wonderful, they sat in silence. And after that, they couldn't stand it any longer and accused him of all sorts of things. And God didn't stop it. And I was wondering why. Why did God never stop it? Why did God allow and almost offer up one of his people? What was the purpose? Is there a purpose? Or is it just a very insane God that just sort of plays some games? And I came across several things. One thing I saw in Ephesians, let's just get back to this thing here. In Ephesians 3, which is actually where you're studying, I believe, which very interestingly enough is also the book I'm studying with a small group back home. But we, we didn't discuss this before, that Ephesians should be the chapter of choice. But uh, it is. So it seems to be the, the book God is talking to us through. But in Ephesians chapter 3, it says there that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And I realized that part of what is happening here is actually not happening for me or for Tim or for anybody else's benefit. It is happening for the spiritual realm. For the demons to know God is alive. Are we prepared to live in God's kingdom? To believe that our God is so big that he can carry us through. And he is. The beauty in all that is that I from there went to see something else, which I think is just as important for all of us to realize. And it's a, a struggle we have, to, we have to struggle until we arrive, until we know that we are stepping over. We have to realize that God is not really interested so much in my body. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, I want your body to be well, I want you to be comfortable, I want you to have a happy life, you will always have enough money, you'll have the best cars, you'll get a mansion. Well, you get one in heaven, but you know, until then we're living in tents, Paul says. And so in, in really reality, when you look at it, think of this further on, you, you really know that you're camping. You know, one day I stop camping and I break up my tent and I go to the heavenly places and I get a good house. Until that time, I live in my tent, which may have different wrinkles than yours, but we all have folds. We all have cracks. Some of us have tears. But God says, really, in, in Matthew 10, 30, 28, it says, do not be afraid of those that can hurt your body. But be afraid of him who can send your, hell, your, your body and your soul to hell. And I realized that the healing is really in God's eyes, not in my body. I would like the body to be healed. But God's purpose is to shape my soul. My soul has to be so well that I can walk through concentration camps, that I can walk through persecution, that I walk through deaths of my loved ones, that I can walk through times where I see them suffer and struggle. Is my, well, is my soul so well? And that is what I felt God was saying to me. And it was almost like Paul was praying this prayer for me that you're going to study today. Which I think is just so amazing. It says there in verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in your inner being. It does not say he will give me strength in my body. So I will never have to really struggle to say tomorrow I have to be able to run a marathon or just to be able to walk up and down the street without anybody helping me. But my inner being will be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on and says that you being rooted and grounded in love, not my love, but Christ's love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is what God promises us. That is what Paul is praying for, that we will be filled with all the fullness of God in our inner man, and out of that we can walk, out of that we can suffer, out of that we can be persecuted. Out of that, we can be killed. So that is really what God has been teaching me in this. It's not my, my body, it's my body, it's my body. I hate it. Sometimes I get so frustrated, I want to throw things against the wall. Sometimes I do things and I have to stop and say, Holy Spirit, we have to do this together. And he does. But then he goes on and says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, then all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Amen. So I really want to just share that. I felt I needed to share that to encourage you because we all have had some horrible, horrible months. We all suffered different things. Some of us have buried people over the last year and a half. We've seen them suffer or we've not seen them suffer because they wouldn't let us. Right. My, my mom died about a year and a half ago in Germany, in a nursing home. There was no way I could go home. I've had uh, I have siblings back in, in Germany that were not allowed to visit her because of COVID. She was demented and lonely. And by the grace of God, they were allowed to be with her at least when she died. And I know a lot of other people have been in similar circumstances. So we've suffered. But what will we allow God to do for us? Will we be willing to struggle and struggle with God until we break through? We can say, yes, it is well with my soul. And when you think of that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, it was written by a gentleman called Stafford, who was an accountant, lost all his money, his youngest son died of some, some strange disease. And he had his wife and four daughters left. He decided that they all needed a family vacation in England. So because he had to finish off some urgent business in, uh, in the States, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship and was going to follow them. The ship had an accident on the way and drowned. Only the wife survived. More than 200 people died in that wreck. She arrived in England, sent a telegram back to her husband, and said, I am the only saved. What shall I do? He went on the next ship to his wife. The captain of the ship was aware of the accident that happened and that he'd lost his four children. And as they came in the place of the accident, 
he said to, the, to Mr. Stafford, this is the place. And as he was contemplating the life of his daughters that were lost, he wrote this hymn. It is well with my soul. That is the wellness that God is working in my life. That is the wellness that he has available to each of you. If you reach for that, if you be still long enough and listen. He may not heal us physically. He may not give us that money that we think we need so desperately. He promised to feed us. He didn't promise that we'll have a banquet, except the one in front of our enemies that's spoken about in Psalms 23. But even that I don't think talks about uh, steak and uh, lobster. So that is really what I felt I had to share with you. You are my hero. I have learned more about healing from watching you not be healed the way I wanted you to. And what you just said to us was so deeply wise that I, I, know, I know from learning from you for all these years that I know what it looks like for you to be in the middle of sharing something that you're working through that is also touched by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so thank you for doing that for us today. Would you, because of who you are and what you just said, but also more than that, who you are to God, who you are to this church, even though some of us just met you, would you pray a blessing for us? Friends, would you, would you hold your hands open just as, as if the Lord would want to put a blessing into your heart and your hands today? And, and when this prayer is done, I'd like to invite you to, to clap one more time. When, when my mom, by the way, her name is Heike, if you've just met, um, to, she's mom, but she's Heike to you. Um, I, I don't know if they call you mom. That might be okay, too. But, um, but when this prayer is over, I think, I think this would be what you would want as well, mom. Will you clap, but not for her? Will you clap for Jesus? Because he's the reason we're going to be able to receive this blessing today. Is that, is that right? Okay. Would you pray for us, mom? Father God, I am just so grateful that you know us that you acknowledge us, that you like us with all our mess, with all our questions, that you're not afraid of us crying out in pain, anger, frustration, that we stomp our feet at you. You're not afraid of us, but you love us. Father, I bless these people with a great awareness that they will be increasing in knowledge of who you are to them. Father, I, I pray a blessing over them that they, will, that they will be able to sit before you and say, it is well with my soul. Father, I bless them that they will learn 
to bless you and bless their own soul. That they can say with David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Father, I bless them that they will know how much you are alive in their soul. And how much life you want to give them daily. Amen. Amen. Let's clap and thank you to Jesus. She stole her phone back from me. All right, if you want to now, you can clap and say thanks to my mom. It's good. We'll just leave it over there. All right. Everybody take a deep breath. Oh, that was good, right? Um, okay. <laughs> now, uh, we are going to continue just in the same vein, and we're now going to study the Word together. If you have a Bible with you today, uh, find your way to Ephesians chapter 3. That was where uh, that was inspired from. Um, and uh, like my mom said, we have been kind of studying this text together. She's been leading a Bible study uh, with some folks from her church for the last little while. Uh, and you and I have been walking through this text for about 10 weeks now. And you'll remember that we had said that our goal in this study was to get through the first half of the book of Ephesians before we hit the holiday season. We're going to then uh, shift our focus into the holidays. Well, we are landing the plane on Ephesians chapter 3, and which, which is actually going to get us to the halfway mark of the book of Ephesians right now. Now, if you were here with us last week, you might remember the schedule was to do this last Sunday, and then the Lord just had all kinds of different plans. Uh, I ended up preaching a message that was uh, somewhat spontaneous and was just thankful all week to hear the reports of how that word that the Lord had me share with you last Sunday was a blessing to you. It was a blessing to me, and I'm just so grateful for the way that God does that. I had no idea that my mom would want to share a word inspired by if the end of Ephesians 3, look at how good God is that he knew I needed to pause on the text so that today would be our teaching text, knowing that would be the word and the encouragement and the testimony that we would hear. So look, at, look just how amazing God is to know what we needed to hear on every single moment. Amen? Uh, let me go ahead and read to you the final words of Ephesians chapter 3 for you. You heard them uh, just a few minutes ago uh, in one translation, just several of those words. But let me, let me read to you how Paul ends this section or this half of his book. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be able to so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now and then and then this next 
portion, he ends in what uh, we would call, as we study the word, we call this a doxology. He now changes his focus to, to a kind of a written formal praise. He says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul ends this, this half of this letter with a prayer. Now, just for context, you'll remember as we're finishing our study in the first half of Ephesians, it'll be a little while until we study Ephesians again. But just so you remember, uh, Paul is writing this letter. It didn't have chapters and numbers attached to it like it does in your Bible. It was a letter written from the heart of a man named Paul, who was an apostle who helped to start this church in Ephesus. And he was writing years later while he was in prison in Rome on, on trumped up charges. He was in, in jail and he couldn't go traveling around so he sent a letter to his friends in Ephesus and then his friends had grown the church into a citywide movement of people in this city that was massively influenced by the outside culture. There were all kinds of other uh, beliefs and religions in Ephesus, all kinds of temptations to be pulled off in other directions. And Paul is writing to the people he calls the faithful saints in Ephesus. Those of you in Ephesus who this globally minded city, it was a port city, could influence the world and be influenced by the world. He's saying those of you who have lived there and yet have held fast to your relationship and your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. We study this letter now with all kinds of relevance because it's almost like he could be writing to us, those of you in Southern California, this place that is influenced and that has reached to the rest of the world. And maybe you feel like, well, it's, this is the Antelope Valley. We don't actually have reach for, to the rest of the world. And, and, that, and, then, and then you pick up the computer you carry around in your pocket. You have reach to the world and you are influenced by the world. And so Paul is saying to us even today, the faithful saints in the Antelope Valley. This is his letter to the church. This is his letter to us. And throughout all of this letter, he's been preaching the gospel. He's been reminding the faithful saints of just how good they have it and everything that they were and everything that they've become because of who God is and their faith in Jesus that has held fast. And on two different occasions during this first half of this letter where he's reminding them about the gospel and how good they have it, he has stopped to pray. The first prayer that he prays for them was early on in the text, and he says that he prays that they would have wisdom, that the eyes of their hearts or understanding would be enlightened so that they could understand just how good God has been. And so his prayer at the beginning is, I pray that you would know. I pray that you would remember. I pray that you would have understanding. And now Paul prays again, and you could, you could really say that what Paul is praying here at the end of this first half of this letter is again for understanding, but also for strength. He prays very specifically that we would be strengthened. Now, before we get into all of that, as we're unpacking this, this, uh, this prayer that Paul shares with us and that we heard an inspiring word about already, let me just give you a few brief thoughts on the why and the how of Paul's prayer. Because I think that there's something really significant here that we understand that, that these words at the beginning, this, this preamble almost to Paul's prayer, are really actually important. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. 
And, and then he, he identifies the father even more. He says, this is the father in whom every one of us are named. So, so this is not just some father. This is the father. This is all of our dad, the creator of the universe, right? And I kneel before the father. Now, I, I want you to understand, Paul wrote it like this because he wants you to know this is not some lighthearted prayer. This is not some flippant thought that he's throwing out to the universe and wishing maybe we can manifest goodness for the people in the city of Ephesus. He is going to the creator of the universe on his knees because he is very passionate and serious about what he is praying. God, would you do the thing that I am praying for because I know I can cannot do this. I cannot manifest this. These people cannot do or manifest this on their own. God, I'm going to you on my knees in a position of humility because you are the source of the answer to this prayer. And because this is not some idea I have, this is my passion for the church in a global city. And this is exactly how Paul would pray it for us, and I think this would be God's heart for us today as well. Paul's kneeling is a posture of humility and submission. Ultimately, Paul is demonstrating an awareness that only God can do this and that we should follow his leadership. As After all, Paul was the one who says, follow me as I follow Christ. So when we see Paul do a thing, we should learn to do the thing as well. And so we need to also learn as we come to God, not only in prayer, but also in our daily living in a global society, that we would be utterly dependent on God. This is what Paul models for us, that we would be completely and utterly dependent on the Father. So the question for us, before we get into the actual prayer that he prays, the question for us would be, when was the last time I prayed a prayer that was impossible outside of God's intervening work? It's interesting how I, I will default to simple prayers. Prayers like, God, I pray that I have a good day today. You could probably have a good day without God. God, I, I pray that you'd help me get my attitude under control. Get your attitude under control. You could probably, you could probably do that with some disciplines. Hey, there's, there's like self-help classes that you could take. There's a ton of stuff you could do that, that you could just work out and, and kind of live like the rest of the people in the world. It's funny how we ask God to partner with the stuff that we could just do with practice and discipline. When was the last time you prayed for God to intervene in a way that if he didn't, everything is lost? Paul is praying with this much passion that God would intervene in a way because he knows, God, if you don't intervene in the city of Ephesus, if you don't help these people... Their sustaining faith will wane because they are living in a world surrounded by temptation, by things that will pull their attention. And isn't this exactly the world that we live in? Outside of God, our practice in coming to church on, on Sunday just turns into ritual, ritual and religion and, and empty behaviors. And, and our churches kind of veer off to kind of political uh, ideal, ideals and, and ideology, and, or, or if not political, then, then social. And we certainly got to be the, the, the social gospel or the political gospel. And, and we go off into these extremes. And if it's not for God who holds all things together, we will be veering off, or, or, or as one writer in Scripture said, we will be tossed around by every wind and wave of new teaching and new ideas and new doctrine. And Paul is praying to the father of all of us saying, God, help these people because on their own, they cannot 
sustain their faith and their hope. When was the last time you came to God because you knew, God, it feels like I can't even breathe again unless you intervene in this situation? And I would just say, if you can't remember when the last time is, I don't know that there's anything that God loves more than a person who comes home to him in prayer. Come home to him in prayer. You are invited. You are welcomed. However long it's been doesn't mean that you have to work that hard to get back into his presence. Just come home. Amen? So that's a little bit about the how of Paul's prayer, but the why of Paul's prayer is just as important. And I could say, simply put, uh, the why of Paul's prayer is because of everything he said so far. He, he says at the beginning of this prayer, for this reason. In fact, this is the second time he said, for this reason, in Ephesians 3. It's almost like at the beginning of Ephesians 3, he says, in fact, I'll read it to you. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then in my Bible, there's a dash. And in that dash, you can just see Paul's mind going squirrel. It's like he says, I've got a thing to say for this reason. After everything I've written so far, for this reason, I want to say a thing to you. Oh, 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 but wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've, I've got to say one more thing to you before we get to the for this reason thought that I have. And he goes, you've heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? He talks about the mystery, and he, he does this review of everything he's written so far. It's, it's like he's saying, it's like he's saying, if you really, 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 really actually understand the gospel, I know you're faithful saints in the, in the city of Ephesus, and I'm super proud of you for that. But if you really actually absolutely completely understand everything that I've said to you so far and how important this is and how utterly dependent you need to be on God, for all of that reason, he does this whole recap. And then, and, and then he goes, okay, now I can get back to the thing that I was saying. He goes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And he lists these two prayers and then a doxology. Paul's prayer is absolutely of utter dependence of God. But it's, it's inspired by or built on the foundation of everything that he has said so far. You did not get to where you are in righteousness because of your works. You got here because of God's goodness. You could say that when he says, for this reason, he's making a reference all the way back to Ephesians 2 that says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously lived according to this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. We all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. You could say that for this reason was referring to Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer engine, uh, foreigners and, and strangers, and uh, a fellow you are now fellow citizens, and, and, and you are saints, and you are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This, this is why I'm praying this. You, you could say that he's saying this because of Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Or you could say that he's saying for this reason because Ephesians uh, chapter 3 verse 10, so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. In other words, he's saying, I've said a lot to you. And I know, I know I'm Paul, and I'm kind of rambly sometimes, and sometimes you have to kind of reread all of everything that I've said 16 times just so that you can understand. I know that reading my letter to you sometimes increases the dependence on the Holy Spirit because you can't actually understand it unless he explains it to you. And all of that is good, but, but, but for this reason, let me pray for you. I've got more to say, but can we just stop and just 
pray, because I don't know that we can move on to the rest unless God does a work in you. It's almost as if Paul is saying, all of your head knowledge is good. Time out. Let's make this heart knowledge. And so Paul prays for strength, and he prays for understanding. Let's talk a minute about Paul's prayer for strength. I'll read it to you again. Verses 16 and 17 says, I pray that he, that's God, may grant you, that's the faithful saints in all the world, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and that Christ, that's Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again so that we could be redeemed, saved, and have our sins forgiven, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's interestingly talking about the Trinity as he prays. But I want you to notice three things briefly about uh, Paul's prayer for strength. I want you to notice the source, the location, and the result of this prayer. Uh, Number one, the source. The strength of Paul, the strength that Paul is praying for is sourced in this line, the riches of God's glory. This is not a prayer for you to strengthen yourself. You cannot go to a spiritual gym and earn or gain this kind of muscle. This is the kind of strength referred to in Psalm 28, verses 7 through 9, that says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and I give thanks to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a stronghold of salvation for his anointing. Save your people. Bless your possession. Shepherd them and carry them forever. Notice who does all of the heavy lifting in this psalm. It is always God. That's this kind of understanding of strength. We do not build this strength. We receive this strength. And then Paul says that we have to understand God's strength is rooted in a specific place. Where is it rooted? In the glory of God. His strength is rooted in his glory, and his strength is a gift that he gives to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And from that wealth of glorious strength, then he makes his people strong. And then we talk about the location of this strength. The location of the strength Paul is praying for is, like you heard my mom say a few minutes ago, internal. This strength is not for you to display or to dominate physical strength which is a lot of what the Western church has thought our strength should be. We need to dominate. We need to be the prevailing religion in America. And if we don't also run politics, we're not doing a good job. Now, I'm not saying the church shouldn't influence the government. I'm not saying the church shouldn't influence community and culture. I'm saying that's not the purpose of the church. And our strength is internal before it is ever political. In other words, we don't prove that Jesus is alive because our candidates win or because our bills get passed. We prove that Jesus is alive because of how Jesus told us we would prove that he is alive by the way we love. First, first, by the way we love one another. And then by the way that we love the world. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul actually writes about this at the very end of his entire letter. In Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, finally. Like, like he gets to the end of the letter and he goes, okay, last thought here. If after everything that you've heard, let me put this at the end of my letter to you. Finally be strengthened by the Lord. Who's doing the strengthening? 
You're not working out. God is doing the strengthening by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you do have something to do. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, by the way, here's how you know that this is an internal strength. He's about to give it all away. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, uh, against, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, not for your public stuff, For the spiritual battle, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the the evil day, which is today, and having prepared everything, take your stand, stand therefore, and then the rest of what he says there in that thought is unpacking what it looks like to put on the full armor of God. Paul is praying for us to have a strength of soul and spirit that can resist our real enemy. Internal strength from God does not look like power, it looks like peace. Now, Jesus made it clear, uh, which, which is what, that, that this was his, he made it clear that this was his desire for us when he says in Matthew 5, 9, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they, the peacemakers, will be called children of God. Do you know what the, the inherent implication of that blessing is? Blessed are the peacemakers, he says, inherently implied those who are not peacemakers cannot be called children of God. How do you make peace if you don't have it? How do we get peace? We are strengthened in our inner being. By whom? Not your work. By the Spirit of God. Through what? Your faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. And thirdly, let's talk for a moment about this, that the result of this strength is the presence of Christ. In verse 17, listen to this again. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And the translation that's on the screen today uh, is the CSB, and it actually uses the word and at the beginning of that, and that Christ may dwell, almost as if it's like an additional bonus prize. But this is not an additional bonus prize. This is a result. This is fruit. It says uh, in, in the better translations there, that word and is actually replaced with so that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is not praying that we would be good at following rules here. He, he prays that we would be aware of our weakness that we would put our faith in Jesus, and that we would be rewarded for our faith by an internal strength of soul and spirit, which will then empower us to withstand the actual enemy of our souls, who is not the person sitting next to you, not the person living next to you, not the person working next to you, not the person driving next to you, and not the person working against you. It is always spirits of darkness. We always have a spiritual enemy. So Paul prays that we would be strong. And then Paul prays that we would have understanding. Listen again to verses 17 through 19. The second thing that Paul prays, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. (gasps) Paul, run on sentence. King, 
Okay, let's, let's break it down. It's actually helpful if you read this as a progressive prayer. Number one, I want you to be rooted in God's love. And as a result, then, number two, I want you to comprehend God's massive love. Number three, then, even though that love passes understanding that you would, as you know it, you would realize you don't know it, that you would, number four, be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a progression. This is a, this is a journey. This is why we call this the way of Jesus. This is why uh, it's called the new and living way. This is not a raise your hand and receive and then you just live however you want until you go to heaven. Thank God for fire insurance. This is a way of living and in living, growing. Knowing God's love first comes from being rooted in his love. And the more that you're rooted in a thing, the more that you draw on that thing for life. Think of this like a tree. A tree is rooted in soil, and whatever soil it is rooted in, it draws life from that soil. Right? The life of that tree, then, will depend on the quality of the soil that it's rooted in. You are a tree. What are you rooted in? Paul says, I pray that you being rooted in Christ... Paul is praying that we would be rooted in his love so that we can draw life from his love. This is like what Jesus said in John 10.10, even though the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they might have life and life overflowing, rooted in that, that you would be rooted in Christ because that's he came that we would have life and that in being rooted and receiving life from him that our life would overflow, implying growth. And, and, uh, and the result will be, of, of being rooted in Christ's love, the result will be that the more that you draw on Christ's love, the more you will comprehend Christ's love. This is the thing that your math teacher did for you that you hated when you were learning fractions. The more I get these kids to work on fractions, the more they will comprehend fractions. I know that that's a true principle because I did not do the work and therefore I don't comprehend fractions. But I'm watching my daughter Hannah do the work and she could do fractions in her head without a calculator because the more time she goes over them again and again and again, the more she comprehends how it works. Can't go back and learn fractions the first time, so i got to learn them now as a dad. As I help slash, I mean, actually watch my daughter do her homework. But the more that you draw on Christ's love, the more that you will understand Christ's love, and then the more that you will understand that it is bigger than you thought that it actually was, you will see that it actually goes far beyond your understanding. Have you ever, have you ever been in love with, with, with a person? Maybe, maybe you're a parent and you could say, I love my kids, or you've been in love with another human being at some point, and there's something about a, a loving relationship. And by the way, if you're a single person and you just say, no, I've never been in a, in a loving dating relationship, you've, you've loved a human being before, right? You've got a friend, or maybe you think about your parents or a grandparent or an, an auntie or an uncle who loved you really, really well, and there's something about that kind of being in relationship with somebody. Isn't it interesting when you suddenly discover a new element or ask aspect of their personality and like, oh, I, 
I like you even more than I ever did before. Right? Hopefully it was a good element of their character or their personality. But there's something about being in that relationship and the more time that you spend with somebody, the more you, you realize, not just the more you love them, but if anything, your love grows for them because you realize there's more of them. I go, oh, I love that part about you too. I just discovered that about you just right now. Or, or, or you grew, and, and so there's more of you to love. And the great thing is that God, who never has to grow or change, is infinite in his, in his love and his power and his wisdom and his attributes. And, and the more time you spend with him, not only the more of him do you come to discover, but the more of him you realize you have no idea that there is. I remember when I started my master's degree. Now, I'm on the tail end of a doctorate degree now, and so I've discovered that this is very true. But one of my mentors and the former senior pastor of this church, Jan Spencer, he told me, Tim, when you, when you start out your, your, your college uh, education, he goes, everything about your, like, high, up to high school kind of teaches you how to learn. Then your, your bachelor's degree, your undergrad stuff will teach you even more how to learn. Really, that's why he says you go to college, so you can learn how to learn. And then you get a master's degree so that you can learn what you want to learn. And he says, if you get a doctorate or a PhD, you do that so that you can learn how much you know absolutely nothing. And I'm at the tail end of a doctorate degree now, and I've learned how to learn. I know what I want to learn about, and I know absolutely nothing. It's worth every penny. Uh, <laughs> this is true, though, not because the doctorate made me stupid, but because I realized that this new level of education and learning has turned me into the kind of person that is, has realized I mean, there is a vast universe of information and knowledge out there I've got no idea about. If anything, a doctorate will just make you humble. But what Paul is really understanding as we kind of dance around some illustrations there is that all of this is a cycle. It begins by you being rooted in God's love. You then draw on God's love and you come more alive. You then enjoy the fullness of God's love like you've enjoyed a good meal, but then you discover that God's love is actually bigger than you thought. So your passion and desire and hunger for God grows with your awareness of God being bigger than you thought that he was. So then you dig your roots down into that new element or aspect of God's love that you just discovered, and you begin the cycle all over again because as you draw on God's love, you come more alive and you enjoy that new level of fullness in God's love. And then, oh, sure enough, you discover that God's love is bigger than you ever thought that it was. So what do you do? You dig your roots down again. Paul is praying that we would find ourselves in a cycle of falling more and more in love with God. Which, by the way, is exactly why he prays that we would also be established in God's love. Not that we would be like the trees uh, around the Antelope Valley that, you know, we put a stick next to them to help them withstand the wind. And, and then some of them, a certain percentage of them, will actually have their roots grow strong and then they can grow up and you can take that tree or the, the, that support out. That's what it means to be an established tree. You don't need that support system anymore. I can, my, my roots can stand on their own which is a great illustration for the importance of discipleship in the life of the early believer. But, but any tree is utterly dependent on its soil. The goal is to grow enough that your roots are established so that whatever might come will not uproot you. 
Uh, our heart is to be like Peter, who one day Jesus was saying some very difficult things to his disciples, and a bunch of them ditched Jesus. They're like, dude, we're out. We cannot hang with you anymore. You say some wild stuff. And Jesus looks at his disciples in John chapter 6. He says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He's saying, you're the soil we're rooted in. We could not be established in any other source. You're it, Jesus. By the way, this is the same Peter who later on wrote, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in 2 Peter chapter 3. So it's not just enough that we would be rooted in God's love. We need to grow up in God's love so that we will then be established. And it's interesting that Paul prays that we would receive strength from God at the beginning of his prayer, and then that we would grow up to be strong in him in the second half of his prayer. See, this is God's gift and also our work. There's a partnership. It's two different kinds of strength but they do partner together. So the more that we receive his love, the more that we will grow, and then the more that we will fall in love with him. And then, now we get to the end, and of course, if we understand this, we would say, no wonder Paul ends this prayer with a doxology. No wonder he ends this prayer with a praise. Listen to it one more time as we come to the end of our time together today. He says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If Paul wants us to be rooted in the love of God, then praise is the perfect expression of that. Praise is like the fruit that grows up on the branches of our lives that are rooted deeply into the love of God. But, but I also think that there's a subtle lesson here. It's, it's, it's that we should never forget where our strength and our knowledge and our growth actually comes from. Paul says, hey, look at all of this good stuff that's happening in your life. Pray about that, that you would be rooted and you're going to grow and it's going to look different. People are going to look at your life and say, oh my goodness, you are so much stronger than you used to be. And Paul says, now, make sure you remember how I end this. Every single time someone says, look at how strong you are, make sure that your response sounds something like, to him who is able to, above, to do above and beyond all that I ask according to the power that works in me, to him be glory in my life and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul starts this prayer on his knees so that we would learn to be utterly dependent on him. And he ends it with praise so that we would learn to never take credit for what God does as we live on our knees before him. So Paul spends the first half of this letter to the church in Ephesus, the faithful saints in Ephesus, reminding them of the power of the gospel and who they have become as a result of God's love. And then he prays for them, for us, that we would be rooted and established in his love, that we would be strong because of God's work in our souls. Come whatever storm, So before we pray together today, I want to invite you to ask yourself two important questions. Number one, what would change if God answered this prayer in your life? 
the inference of that question is, I'm inviting you to pray this prayer over your life. And we will together in a moment. But what would change if God actually answered this prayer? That you would become stronger because of him. That you would be rooted more in him. That you would be established in him. What would be different? Is it worth taking the time on your knees to pray a prayer for that end? I promise you it is. The second question would would be this. What could be possible if God answered this prayer for his entire church? How could we change the world for the actual kingdom of heaven on earth if we prayed a prayer like this together as the entire body? I don't just mean life church. Could you imagine a world in which the entire body of Christ was committed to pray a prayer like this? God, help us to imagine that. And then help us to fight for it on our knees. I'll ask you a bonus question. Final question of the day would simply be, would you join me in this prayer? Can we join Paul in this prayer? In fact, we're going to put this prayer, a version of it that I've wordsmithed for our purposes um, on the screen. And I'd like you to join me. Now, as the pastor of this church, I'm going to pray this prayer the way that Paul prayed this prayer. I invite you, if you want to, if you feel so moved, to physically join me in that same posture. I will pray this prayer on my knees. I have been praying this prayer for you this week on my knees. And then I want to invite you, whether you take a screenshot, whether you want to follow us on Instagram, we'll post it there in just a few minutes after our service is over. But I want to invite you to pray this prayer with us daily, at least for the next week, if not for longer. If you can't physically get on your knees or if you want to stay in your seat, that's okay. If you want to stand, take a posture of humility before the Lord with me, at the very least in your hearts. And can we come before the Lord today? And we pray. Jesus, in just one moment, we are going to pray this prayer together. I would say, Jesus, as the pastor of this church, as the shepherd of this flock, I humbly submit myself to you. I am no better than these people. So we come together today as children in utter dependence on you. Father God, we are nothing without you. Holy Spirit, we are empty without you. Jesus, we are lost and sinners without you. Thank you for your work in our lives. And Jesus, today, I, we, join Paul in this prayer. Jesus, I pray for your church, of which I am a part. I pray that we would become utterly dependent on you, that we would be rooted in your love and strengthened by your glory, and that we would be so full of you that we lack and desire nothing else. I know that you are able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to your power that works in your people.
may you be glorified in the church and through the church now and forever. Amen. Bless us, Lord, as we learn to live out the answer to this prayer in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.